Hello and welcome to Speaking Startup, Missouri Business Alert's podcast covering the news and issues important to Missouri entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Hood. And I'm Desi Muller. On today's episode, we'll hear how one St. Louis startup has capitalized on a rise in e-commerce to promote Black-owned businesses. And then we'll learn about entrepreneurship of all shapes and sizes in one of Missouri's Amish communities. And as always, we will also provide the week's headlines, digits, and other startup news you need to know. So what are we waiting for? Let's speak startup. Can you believe it's already August? It feels like it's August, but it feels like it's August of 2020. I know what you mean. Already at the end of the summer and at the end of our time co-hosting Speaking Startup. Feels like just yesterday we were learning how to work the mic system for our first episode. Ah, yes, and Googling voice exercises and you not doing them with me. Good times, good times. I'm going to miss working with you as the NBA moves forward and I step away from the pod. Well, I mean, we'll see each other around. There will always be more reports in need of reporting. Very true. Destiny, I am really going to miss getting to host this podcast with you. Same here, but the NBA team is still going to continue covering entrepreneurship and producing Speaking Startup. No goodbyes in the sound booth just yet. First, let's get to this week's headlines. Some St. Louis restaurants and bars are requiring proof of vaccination for indoor dining privileges. The proof can be shown either physically or digitally. Others are not requiring proof of vaccination just yet, but are asking diners about their vaccination status. The manager of one St. Louis restaurant says this is only for the time being, as the CDC recommends and the experts recommend. This won't be forever. Lee's Summit-based tech startup eHawk recently completed a funding round, including investors like KC Rise Fund, Chicago-based Sindolphin Capital, Denver-based Service Provider Capital, and Kansas City Area Angel Investors. Financial details of the round were not given. eHawk uses technology to provide an alternative to ankle monitors and other forms of pretrial release. It uses facial recognition technology, court date notifications, and customized geofencing to maintain compliance with court-ordered conditions. New bipartisan legislation working its way through Congress calls for $1 trillion in infrastructure projects, but it is paid for in part by cutting funding for the Small Business Administration's COVID-19 rescue programs. The cuts are called rescissions, where Congress takes back unused funding from a federal agency or program. Some of the major rescissions include $31 billion from two SBA programs providing loans and grants to businesses experiencing a loss in revenue due to COVID-19. Speaking of the Small Business Administration, new data from the SBA reveals which venues received funds from the Shuttered Venue Operators Grant Program. In Kansas City, about 60 businesses received grants. 14 of those businesses received grants over $1 million, including the American Theater Guild, which received the largest grant. Other Kansas City entities receiving funds include the Starlight Theater Organization, Union Station, and the New Theater Company. In St. Louis, nearly 60 organizations received $55.6 million in grants. Some of these organizations include the St. Louis Zoo, the Fabulous Fox Theater, and the Muni. The program has received over 15,000 applicants and continues to accept new applications. a lot of reporting on e-commerce this summer. I certainly have. We've been seeing a big increase in e-commerce due in large part to the pandemic. 
Yep, I know I've done my fair share of online shopping. Same here, especially as I prepare to move to a new apartment for the fall. But one St. Louis startup has been riding this wave of e-commerce and helping promote Black-owned businesses at the same time. How are they doing that? Well, first, it's important to mention the struggles Black-owned businesses face. 96% of Black-owned businesses are sole proprietorships or only have one employee. The average revenue of these businesses is just over $20,000, according to the Brookings Institute. For comparison, the average revenue of non-Black-owned sole proprietorships is more than double that. Wow, it sounds like these businesses have little margin for error. Yep, and on top of a low average revenue, Black entrepreneurs are also less likely to receive funding. A study from the Kauffman Foundation showed that Black entrepreneurs are most likely to use credit cards to finance their entrepreneurial ventures. However, one startup in St. Louis is looking to change this by providing exposure and connections to help these businesses expand. Bold Exchange is an online platform selling Black-owned goods like coffee, tea, and candles. I spoke with Doug Spencer, the co-CEO, to learn more about how the startup promotes many early Black-owned companies and products. Joining me now is Doug Spencer, the co-CEO of Bold Exchange in St. Louis. Doug, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So tell me about why you wanted to open the Bold Exchange retail shop. So originally we started as a blog, and that was because... Um, I had just graduated from, from college, and in my mind, the next step was go to law school. So I'd already accepted an offer to attend Columbia Law School, worked at a law firm, and it wasn't the best experience for me, <laughs> enough so that I decided I no longer wanted to go to law school. Um, and to have such a great opportunity like that and to walk away from it, um, had a lot of people asking me questions about it, and a friend who had a blog asked if I would write on that blog about the experience. And that just led to so many people contacting me not about law school in particular, but about how to make difficult decisions. Um, and so Danielle and I, my co-founder of Bold Exchange, she's actually a journalist who worked at major magazines in New York. And I said, hey, if my story can resonate with people like this, and knowing that you're a much better writer than I am, if we can find some of those stories and use them to inspire people, I think we could have something on our hands. So it started as that blog, um, and the people who were most interested in the blog were Black-owned companies, Black-owned business makers uh, about our age. And so we really shifted our focus from then, seeing how the traction with the blog worked, to Foreign Bold Exchange, um, which was much more focused on consumers um, and linking them with business owners so that um, they can you know, meet in the middle. Your company, Bold Exchange, helps distribute products and goods from Black-owned businesses. Recent research shows that 96% of Black-owned businesses only have one employee and bring in a little over $20,000 in revenue a year. How can that limited revenue and workforce harm the growth of some of these businesses? So when we're talking about $20,000 in revenue, that's not considering your expenses. You're not paying yourself, which means you're not paying staff. Um, you're trying to wear so many hats at once. So in us being uh, an amplifier and a supporter of those businesses, we're able to alleviate some of those challenges. If we can partner with you, we have our own brand um, and our own network. We can then help your products get in front of those individuals and ultimately scale your revenue. So what if you're doing $20,000 now? What if you could do 200000 and beyond? You start to think about, okay, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur regardless, but I can be a full-time entrepreneur if I want. Um, I can create jobs if, if my company is scaling to that level. How do you think growing media attention and support for the Black Lives Matter movement, particularly last summer, but even before then, has helped garner support for Black-owned businesses? 
Black Lives Matter and other issues specifically focused on the black community um, have definitely helped our effort in putting a spotlight on black-owned businesses specifically. I think as we continue forward and we think about what the trajectory looks like for black-owned companies in general and for Bold Exchange, our job is to make sure that the experience people have is a memorable one, um, but also that this isn't a fad or just a moment in time where there's extra support for companies that really have looked and needed support. Um, but we want this to be lasting, um, not a trend, but more so something that will be here a decade from now. Along with the events of last summer, we also saw a rise in e-commerce due to the pandemic. Since Bold Exchange is an e-commerce platform, how was your website impacted by this increase in online shopping? The current Bold Exchange platform actually launched a couple weeks before the onset of COVID. Um, so almost the entire existence of our business has been during the pandemic. Um, so I think definitely we saw a surge to go from nothing to, to a surge. But even if we had started, you know, even further ahead of the pandemic, I think the pandemic itself would have caused us to see more growth. Um, in terms of e-commerce, I think if you think about the pace of it, we probably accelerated e-commerce by several years just because of the pandemic, which is of course an, a negative event in itself. Bold Exchange not only offers products directly to consumers, but also works with companies like Home Depot and Spotify to provide black-owned products. Why might some of these companies seek out help to find those goods? Many large organizations and corporations have created plans around their diversity, equity, and inclusion. And in those plans, many of them want to have certain benchmarks for diverse companies that they work with um, in various capacities, but their suppliers is, is usually what they call them. And so when you think about how do I hit that number, what are the businesses that I should work with? Many of them are still figuring out who to call and who to ha have help them with that process. And Bold Exchange is one of those partners. Most of those efforts so far have been around employee recognition, or maybe this company has an event or an award ceremony and they're thinking, we would love to show appreciation to the people in our network, but do so through Black-owned companies. So um, just like the consumer has issues finding Black-owned businesses, so do you know, larger corporations. And so they come to us saying, this is what we need. Um, this is the category we work in, the space we work in, or this is what the event is about. And what we really do is be the conduit to help them find the right brands. To end off here, what's the biggest piece of advice you would give to Black entrepreneurs? The biggest piece of advice I would give black entrepreneurs trying to start their business is to just treat your customers well. I think we've seen so much success. We have not raised financing yet. Um, a lot of our support has come from people who have paid their hard-earned money um, to support us. And I think regardless of whether you're a startup or a small business that's not seeking financing, the best kind of revenue for you to get is revenue from customers. So that one customer that you write that note for or that you show some extra attention, they might be someone who orders 10 times. Our best customers have ordered 25 times. So it's like, and all it took was us enjoying them as much as they enjoy us. So I would say start there. Do right by your customers every single time. Certainly. Doug, thanks so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, this is awesome. Thank you for having me in this great conversation.
Destiny, you went somewhere the other day to do some reporting that had no reception to meet some people entirely off the grid. It sounds a little ominous when you put it that way, but yes, the Amish community near Bowling Green in eastern Missouri does live off of some grids. You went out there to learn the community's business practices. Would you mind telling us a little bit about what you learned? Sure. There are more than 50 Amish communities in Missouri, and the one outside of Bowling Green is one of the most conservative in the state, according to the town's website. They can't drive cars, only horses and buggies, they can only use the community telephone booth for making calls, and they can't have photos taken of themselves. These things are against their beliefs. Their way of living is simpler and guided by their religious values. Sometimes those values affect the way that they run their businesses. How are the businesses in this community different from businesses you might find elsewhere in Missouri? In many ways, they're strikingly similar. They still make profits, grow, and have employees, but profits and growth were never their first priorities, and employees were mostly members of families working together. After visiting, I spoke with an expert to get a sense of how that particular community fits into the larger picture of Amish entrepreneurial culture across the U.S. There are over 500 settlements across the country and all have their own local differences, but they share many things in common. Steve Nolt, a professor of history and Anabaptist studies at Elizabethtown College, said Bowling Green matches well to the timeline that explains what modern Amish businesses look like today. The story begins in the 1980s. In many places during the decade of the 1980s, we saw a, um, a noticeable shift away from farming as the primary economic base to a variety of uh, small business enterprises. During the 80s, we had for the first time large numbers of Amish young people getting married, starting households of their own who were not farming. In Bowling Green, the butcher began in 1987, the cabin maker in 1984, the wheelwright in 1990. They very much follow the trend of getting married and steering away from farming in the late 20th century. Cultural and religious reasons have steered Amish businesses away from even wanting high revenue models since the 1980s. Uh, one of the things that always stands out to me for Amish businesses that is connected to broader cultural value uh, for the Amish is their their resistance to um, <laughs> uh, bigness, <laughs> their, their resistance to, to size and scale. It, it's, it's not that they don't make decisions based on profitability, you know, uh, ever, but they're not economic maximizers. They're generally not trying to just continually grow and grow and grow their business. Amish businesses support market capitalism, but on this smaller and slower scale. Their relationship with businesses matches their relationship with technology. Amish people often have entrepreneurial spirits, but they believe simplicity is a means to success, that a slower speed of growth allows them to truly master practices while maintaining their traditional way of life. They don't reject the market or market capitalism, but their approach to business is infused with a lot more cooperation. Cooperation was definitely a part of the ethos of the business owners I met. When I sat down with the community's bakers, David and Lena May Wangler, that was exactly the case. David and his wife, Lena May, showed a highly cooperative partnership, splitting the answering of my questions about their businesses essentially down the middle. What did they have to say about the bakery? One aspect of their business that I found especially interesting was their work schedule. They make fresh goods that are delivered to Hannibal three days out of the week, but on Fridays and Saturdays, their bakery is open to tourists. 
David works from 2 in the morning to 10 o'clock at night to make the bread fresh. But these 18-hour workdays are nothing to David compared to last year. What happened last year? David Wengler said beginning in April of 2020, those 18-hour workdays turned to sleepless nights as he got a sudden boost in customers each week. April 2020, I'm guessing that's pandemic-induced. Yes, that would be correct. Nolte said between the supply chain issues that occurred last year and a little bit of an ideological shift where people increasingly believed buying local was safer, consumers sought out Amish communities for products that they couldn't find in stores. In the context of the pandemic, sales, Amish-run produce auctions or cheese houses or yeah, other food-related businesses went up uh, pretty strongly. This phenomenon happened to an even greater extent at Albert Hilty's Butcher Shop. The Butcher Shop's full name is Hilty's Butcher Shop Jams and Honey and Bee Kits. Albert's business is one of the biggest in the community, having up to nine employees during hunting season. Hilty actually plans on leaving for a new settlement next year. 20 out of the 65 families currently living in the community are involved in the split. Why are they all leaving? Well, that's a complicated question. Hilty said there are about 10 different reasons they plan to leave. I asked if one is a desire for modernization, and he said that yes, that is one of them, but he didn't want to disclose anything further. I asked four other fellow business owners about it, and they all declined to discuss specifics. But I sensed a lot of sorrow over the separation. Now, Nolte said it's common for a fragment of businesses and families to leave when an Amish community gets too large. I asked Nolte if it's common for rules to be bent to help businesses modernize and tensions to grow because of it. He said that that's not the case in all communities, but it has happened before. For many people, growth and change can be intimidating when brought on too suddenly. All right, Destiny, what is your final digit? My digit is seven, as in seventh place. What's being ranked? All of the states, you know, Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas. Got it. I'm guessing Missouri got seventh. What did we get seventh in? We have the seventh highest need for new employees. Ah, that's not good. According to a report by LendingTree, 41% of Missouri small businesses say that hiring new employees is their biggest need over the next six months. And 22% of Missouri small businesses say that hiring is affecting operating capacity. Interesting. What's your digit? My digit for this week is 15%. What's 15% mean? Deliveries made up 10 to 15% of all sales for the company Dutchie, which makes point-of-sale software for marijuana dispensaries. What's the market for delivery of medical marijuana? Well, in Missouri, dispensaries in St. Louis and Kansas City have started offering home delivery services for cancer patients or those recovering from surgery. That makes sense. It's essentially the same thing as pharmacies who deliver medicine to patients. Yeah, definitely. And industry experts expect home delivery to increase as Missouri's brand new medical marijuana industry continues to grow. That's just about it for this week's episode. Save for our closing thought. Here's Doug Spencer on how to be a successful entrepreneur. The best piece of entrepreneurial advice that I've gotten is do not shoot for perfection. It's so hard whether you've been successful as a student, um, in a job somewhere, 
I think a lot of times in, in different aspects of our lives, we're trained to get things as perfect as possible. When you have so many things to do, you may not be able to do anything perfectly, but that's okay. That's all for this week's episode. This has been Speaking Startup from Missouri Business Alert. This episode was produced, edited, and hosted by me, Emily Hood, and Destiny Muller. Our theme music was produced by Elliot Bowman. You can follow us on social media at Mo Business Alert. That's M-O Business Alert. And subscribe to the MBA newsletter on our website. Have a great week. We'll speak with you next time.